Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to the Motor Mouth Podcast with Harry Benjamin and Tim Sylvie. This is the place where we meet some of the biggest names in and around motorsport, chat about their lives and everything in between. We've partnered with the Brain Chimmer Charity, helping to raise awareness and help find a cure. Thanks to our partnership, we've been able to create a short series of special podcasts uncovering those within the motorsport community who've been affected by these devastating diagnoses. You can hear those stories, including the Williams F1 team's planning director, Richard Jones, right now on your chosen podcast podcast player the charity work all year round to help develop research and raise awareness through schemes like their newly launched 10 ways we can help for people affected by a brain tumor diagnosis which includes an interactive guide along with all of their support offerings on their website braintumorcharity.org a huge thank you for your support if you can donate anything you can also do that through the motormouth.club website or through the brain tumor charity directly and together we can help every single person affected by a brain tumor it's Season 8, and we're really excited to be once again teaming up with F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality, and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the pinnacle of motorsport. And let's face it, any chance to get close to Formula One this year, we are all over it. And the brilliant news is you can now return trackside thanks to F1 Experiences. Enjoy the very best race tickets and track hospitality, first class hotels, and and unprecedented access you simply cannot get anywhere else. For more information on how you can book your F1 experience, visit f1experiences.com where you can also save 5% on your very own F1 experiences package by using the code MOTORMOUTH when checking out online. So what are you waiting for? Experience the 2021 F1 season firsthand with exclusive access courtesy of F1 experiences. Get booking today at f one 
www.experiences.com. Hello everyone, Tim Sylvie here. Now, today's guest hails from Austria. And this week, Harry Benjamin, I am going to test you on your geography skills rather than wow you with my usual local facts about our guest's hometown. So, with that in mind, can you tell me the eight countries that Austria borders? Now, keep in mind, it's landlocked. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Right, so you, there, are, okay. there are eight. Go. Um, Hungary. Very good. Yeah. Well, that's what it used to be called, wasn't it? Austria, the Austrian-Hungarian Empire, whatever. Oh, Austria, good. Hungary. Uh, well, obviously Austria. Yeah. Hungary. Um, oh, Czech Republic. That's two, yeah. Oh, yes. Um, what else is around there? Um, Austria, where are we? Oh, God. Um, um, oh, um, oh, <laughs> this is so... Oh, can I have a clue? Uh, okay, okay, I'll give you a clue. I'll give you a clue. Really um, obvious, one of them is um, a country that we always end up playing in football and usually losing to, but not this time around. Germany. Germany. Really? Yeah. Okay. yeah. So, uh, so what have I got? Austria. So I've got Hungary, Czech Republic, Germany. Uh, Germany um, and then what's around there as well? Oh, my God. This is terrible. Isn't I'm going to uh, give you another 15 seconds and then um, you're out. Luxembourg. Luxembourg is incorrect. <laughs> I can't see you getting any more. So that that's three. Oh. That's three out of eight. I have, it started off. It started off well. It started off uh, okay. Yeah, and you did say Austria as well, though, which is a bit of a. Uh, so, uh, yeah. What else is round there? Germany. Okay, I, I'm not going to give you the answers because we'll, Italy. No. Okay, no, yeah, no. Yeah. 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 Oh, is yeah, that right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah okay. You got Italy. Fifty percent. Right, okay. I'm going to leave the other four for when we introduce our guest, because okay, if fine. he doesn't know, then we've got a major problem. <laughs> and, and no Googling in the interim, please. Um, talking of which, shall I introduce today's guest? I think we better get on with it, yeah. <laughs> so today we're joined by Christian Klein, a man who graduated from karting in his native and aforementioned Austria into Formula BMW before winning German Formula Renault and then on to F3 Euro Series and later, of course, into Formula One with Jaguar and then the rebranded Red Bull team in 2005. He had stints in Le Mans before returning to F1 with HRT. However, there is so much more to talk about, not least his new DTM exploits. We're looking forward to hearing all about it. Christian Klein, welcome. Welcome to the Motormouth podcast, and please put Harry out of his misery and tell us what the remaining countries are. <laughs> yeah, hi there. Thanks to be part of the show. Uh, will be nice. And uh, yeah, it started off a bit. Huh? I think I have to fill in some of the countries, I, I guess. So I think oh. so. So so we've got Germany, Czech Republic, Hungary, Italy. There are four more that border Austria. What are they? Uh, Slovenia. Uh, oh, I would have never have correct. gotten that. Slovakia. Slovakia, yes. Switzerland. Switzerland. And one more. Liechtenstein. Liechtenstein. Oh. There we go. There you go. Yeah, to, be, to be fair to me, I think I probably would have only got Switzerland. The rest of them, I was, didn't stand a chance. <laughs> and I did geography A level at oh, school, which dear. is the highest, you, at like 18 years old, that's the exams you take over here for going to university. So clearly not a great start. Um, <laughs> you got 50%. That's not too bad. 50%. That's a pass. I'll take that. Um, Christian, thank you very much for coming on to the show. It's an absolute pleasure to have you on. So where are you today? Are you in Austria or are you in any of the eight surrounding countries <laughs> yeah and one of the eight surrounding countries i'm in switzerland oh I'm you are 15 years and uh currently in switzerland hiking up the mountains wow nice actually because i've seen some pictures i think on your instagram where you've got some amazing surroundings to go trading in as well it must be quite a spectacular place to live it is it's uh it's beautiful uh i love the mountains 
So uh, in summer, I do a lot of hiking, mountain biking, but then obviously in winter, I love skiing and uh, plenty of places to go uh, to go around here. And also it's quite central of, of Europe, so it's quite easy to travel to the racetracks. Mm, especially nowadays as well. Well, let's um, let's get on to the racing and let's go way back when. Take us back to the beginning, the karting days. How did you become part of motorsport? Was it something in the family? Often it is, or sometimes you just take a, a, an interest in it. How did you get started? Um, I guess it was uh, because my father was interested in motorsport a lot, but he wasn't racing himself. But he always went with friends to Formula One races. And uh, when I was little, probably around four, no, five or six years old, maybe seven or eight, can't remember. He took me to Hockenheim Ring anyway. And, uh, and yeah, straight away, I fall in love with motorsport as well. And, uh, you know, from there, I got the interest in it. And then later on, when I was like 11, uh, we, we, uh, we, we went to a go-kart race, uh, saw those, uh, uh, you know, saw those carts and I said, I have to be in, in one of them. So we just rented one. We went for a weekend to Italy and, uh, basically that's how it started, but it was just, uh, you know, for fun on the weekends, uh, with, uh, you know, with the motorhome, the go-kart. My sister was uh, with us, uh, my mother, the little hamster, everything was there. <laughs> <laughs> Loads of fun and, and probably some very fond memories. Do you, what do you make of those days? What was the scene like back then in, in karting? And, and are there any names that you were racing against in your very early years that we might be familiar with now? Yes, with uh, Robert Kubica I was racing. I can remember him. He was... Uh, I remember when I met him for the first time or saw him for the first time, he was in Parma in Italy and he had this, uh, this red, I wouldn't call it a racing suit. It was just a red suit. It looked like he was working on a petrol station, <laughs> kind of overall uh, he had on, uh, but he was extremely quick already. Uh, he just had a white helmet. I remember that as well. And then I, I guess the karting days back then were much simpler. Um, was less factory teams uh, than now. And, uh, you know, my mechanic, for example, was my father, yeah. uh, which was my biggest handicap because he's actually an architect. So uh, I wasn't so good about around the, the go-kart, but <laughs> most of the time we made it to the finish line. Oh, well, that's, that's good. It's funny, I was, I was up at uh, Wilton Mill Kart Track last week and um, it's, it's funny seeing how serious karting is taken these days i mean all of the carts were fully branded covered in sponsors all the kids who were some of them were seven eight years old covered in sponsorship and different brands the dads are there you know tinkering away but they've all got their awnings and their motorhomes it's serious serious business isn't it these days yeah it's very serious business and i guess that's i mean it's good uh i guess when they're very young they learn a lot because the competition is i guess even higher uh, more professional. Uh, I mean, they have data system, data recording, everything in these go-karts nowadays. Probably that's why they end up early in uh, in Formula 1 as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And now, after karts, you moved up into um, Germany BMW Series around 1999. Tell us about that time. Um, you had some success. You moved into German Formula Renault. That must have been quite an exciting period for for you, making that transition into hardcore racing. What, what are your memories of that of that period? Yes, absolutely. I mean, go karts was still more uh, more or less a hobby for us, and uh, we traveled just uh, myself and my father. 
And then uh, when I got into uh, single seaters, it was the first time that I was racing for bigger teams. And uh, it was just more professional, uh, probably because my father wasn't my mechanic. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I did the BMW Junior, uh, Formula BMW Junior Series uh, in 99. And uh, I mean, I just loved it. It was a uh, bigger car, single seaters on real racetracks, Formula One racetracks. It was uh, amazing. And uh, I had probably a bit of a, a slow start, uh, let's say. Only my third year, Formula BMW, I then ended up third on the, on the, in the championship. And then from there, it just uh, took off, basically. Uh, I got, uh, well, I always had the Red Bull sponsorship, but then they started to invest more, let's say, in me. I could go to the bigger teams, to the good teams that you have to run with uh, if you want to fight for the championship. So in 2002, I went to JD Motorsport, uh, did Formula Renault Germany and the uh, Euro Cup. I won the championship in Germany and finished fifth in the Euro Cup. Uh, same points as Lewis Hamilton back then. Ah. Execo. And uh, yeah, there it started to be uh, professional, let's say. So you're properly making your way up the ranks and then you get to well, uh, what doesn't exist anymore, but what is effectively what Formula 3 is today, the Formula 3 Euro Series. And that is when things start to really heat up as well. And you become on the radar of a few Formula One teams, not to mention the Jaguar racing team, of course. So what were you thinking at this stage? Were you a little bit, you're right on the cusp there. You can see Formula One in your sights. Is it a bit, is it a bit nerve wracking? Is there a lot of pressure at that time? No, to be honest, uh, when you're in Formula 3, Formula 1 is still so far away. I mean, it's like on another planet. Right. Uh, you don't realize that you are uh, yeah, like almost below it, let's say. And for me, uh, I did Formula 3 in 2003, and the plan was to do two years, you know, one year to learn, and then the second year to go for the championship. But I got uh, really uh, in the grips of the car very quickly, and uh, basically, my first year, I was already fighting for the championship and finished second, but also won the, the biggest race of the year, the Marlboro Masters, which then opened up uh, a possibility, let's say, uh, to open a door into Formula One. And uh, it was Red Bull uh, who uh, managed that and helped me to get the first test at uh, Jaguar Racing. And I mean, everything happened so quickly, I couldn't realize it. And uh, at the end of the year, I had already my first uh, Formula One test and it was uh, mind-blowing and, and almost too fast. Yeah, no, <laughs> you're not the first that we've heard that kind of sentiment from who's been involved with the Red Bull program and, and, and sort of um, rushed through into Formula One. But take us through what the Red Bull program was like at that stage. We all know what it is now and how ruthless and cutthroat it is and it's win or die. Well, what was it like back then? When did you first get exposed to that Red Bull program. And it sounds like, from what you're saying, it was hugely beneficial for you at that stage. Absolutely. I mean, uh, from home, we didn't have the money uh, to uh, run in motorsport, not in single-seaters, because the budgets were just too high for us. But at that stage, I had already Red Bull as a, as a, as a partner. To be honest, the Red Bull Junior program wasn't the way it was uh, it is now, let's say. Uh, Dr. Helmut Marko was at that point not involved in it. Basically, I could uh, choose which series uh, where I uh, go to next. 
And uh, if they're happy with, then they just uh, gave us the budget and we could run it. And I always had a direct uh, uh, contact to Mr. Matijic directly. And uh, I didn't have a contract. It was all handshake. So therefore, my single-seater career was, uh, let's say, not relaxed, but but easier. Yeah. And uh, But there were one or two, uh, you know, uh, instances... Uh, Helmut was not fully uh, fully uh, involved in the program, but he had his saying, let's say, uh, in it already at Red Bull. So one example is uh, it was uh, Thursday, the day before the last race of the German Championship in Formula Renault. And it was uh, still a title fight between Bruno Spengler and myself. Friday free practice. On Thursday afternoon, I had to drive seven hours to Graz, where Helmut is, just that he could tell me within five minutes of a meeting, if I don't win the championship, the Red Bull uh, money is gone for next year. Oh. So <laughs> with that kind of, uh, you know, heavy backpack, let's say, I went into the into the final race. Wow. That, that's... Not always easy. Not always easy. But at least, you know, uh, I guess all the junior drivers, uh, we got the chance uh, because of Red Bull to drive, uh, you know, the best teams, best championships. Yeah. That's what you need, and ultimately you have to perform. But it's for sure very hard in the in, uh, in the Red Bull Junior team. I mean, it's, mm. it's it's a simple mechanic at the end of the day. You know, we'll keep funding you if you keep winning. Simple as that. Exactly. And, you know, if, 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 you're, yeah. if you're good enough, you've got nothing to worry about. Um, you know, it's it's fascinating hearing those stories about the early days of the Red Bull program. And then when you when you stepped into that Formula One car for the very first time, we we've spoken to a few other drivers over the the, the years on this podcast who have done that jump from either F3 or F2 into an F1 car. And um, and they've said it's like nothing else. You know, it is it is so far away from anything else. Did you get that same sort of visceral experience where it was just a real shock at the 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 pace and power of these machines? <laughs> um, to be honest, no. But I tell you why. So I jumped into the car, I did the installation lap, came back in, and then my engineer uh, Daniel Sordo, Italian guy, uh, was the engineer. He did ask me, and how is it? Mind-blowing, how quick are these cars? And I said, mm, they're not so fast. I thought they're a little bit quicker. And then he looked at the data and said to me, well, let's try and ref up the engine all the way to 19,000. I was shifting at 10,000 because I was used to it from Formula 3. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I'm cruising along thinking, oh, this is easy. Exactly. It's a Sunday afternoon drive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So the, the next run, uh, yes, it was mind-blowing. And... Uh, and more, more the braking than the acceleration. You get quite quickly used to the acceleration, but the braking performance of these cars is just, uh, just amazing. And although I was trained and I was driving in Formula Three, I wasn't able to do more than eight laps in a row. Then my neck just fell off, and I couldn't see the corners anymore. Is that still is that still the case in F1 cars? Because I know back then it was more of a uh, a workout. Is it? I mean, have you driven recent iterations of F1 cars? Is it still that stressful on, on your neck muscles? I think now nowadays, uh, even more. Let's say the last two, three years since they went to the, you know, uh, more downforce, bigger tires. The corner speeds are now higher than uh, than ever. But I guess the period, let's say, you know, with the V10 engines, uh, it was probably one of the fastest areas of uh, eras of Formula One. 
but yeah, it is. It is now. It's still the case that neck muscles is everything. And if if you're out of the car even over a winter break, uh, you just can't handle it. And also, neck muscles are very difficult to train. So basically, you, you need to spend the time in the car. It's amazing when you do see an F1 driver in person, especially these days. Their necks are just mm. gigantic. It is it is ridiculous how much they uh, have to work those out. But you get to Formula One, Christian, you find yourself there with Jaguar in that first year. Talk us through the first season, especially, and then the, the seasons to follow it when you made the move uh, to the Red Bull outfits as well. Some of the highlights from that first year, because I suppose when you're chucked into a Jaguar racing team in Formula One uh, as a rookie, it's always going to be tough, isn't it? It's for sure very tough. I mean, you come from a small Formula One, Formula Three team with probably 20 uh, employees, mechanics, and then you jump into a team, you know, with uh, in the factory there are three, four, five hundred people working for two cars. Uh, that's just crazy. And the most difficult uh, part is not just driving the car, but uh, the way to understand who to uh, who uh, to communicate with. Uh, if you want to change something, want to have something, it's just a huge operation, and that's probably in the first year, quite tricky to get used to. And driving-wise, uh, I mean, for me, it was good. I had Mark Weber as a teammate. First of all, he was a very quick teammate, but he was also, you know, there was no politics with him. Mm. He was uh, he was friendly. He was open. He, was, uh, he shared information. He even gave tips uh, to the point, uh, well, not when I was quicker than him, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> all the way up there. So it was, I had, let's say, life made easy. My life was made easier because I have uh, Mark as a teammate because he's uh, very easygoing, let's say. Yeah? Highlight this year was for sure uh, getting the first points in, uh, in in Spa, finishing P6. So P6 back then meant one point. It was a bit, it was a bit harder, yeah? Yeah, so much. I always look at that and go, God, they really didn't make it easy, did they? Now it's like anybody can get a bloody point, but it still, even even in the top ten, it still seems difficult. Yeah. <laughs> Way easier, yeah. And Crazy. then, I mean, Jaguar Racing was a typical midfield car. Uh, you know, sometimes it was a bit better, sometimes a bit worse. I think the car was good in qualifying, but race pace, we we struggled most of the time. But anyway, it was a fantastic learning year. The difficulty then was uh, it wasn't sure. Uh, well, basically, Jaguar closed down the the team at the end of the year, and it wasn't until I think November or December. I think November uh, when the news came out that uh, Red Bull bought the team, and that also meant that it secured my uh, my race seat for the year after. Yeah, and and you did continue with Red Bull, and as as this new iteration of a team um, from two thousand five into two thousand and six. And then 2007, um, I suppose it must have been a shock when the day came that Red Bull was no longer your partner. I mean, how did that conversation come about? And, and take us through the emotions of that time. It must have been a difficult period. Uh, for sure, a difficult period. And especially 2006 was uh, a difficult year because... Uh, the car was was very unreliable. We had a lot of DNFs, uh, both DC uh, and and myself, and it was a tricky year. And uh, but basically, I heard about uh, that I won't continue with Red Bull Racing in, in Monza. Um, but I knew it already a couple of months before, 
because uh, Mark Weber again. <laughs> Mark Weber came up to me and said, look, Christian, you should uh, look for a, a new seat next year because uh, I'm going to be the driver for Red Bull Racing next year. And the reason behind that is Adrian Newey wanted to have the Renault engines. In six, 2006, we still had Ferrari engines in. The Renault engine uh, required a much smaller package uh, um, in terms of cooling. So the Adrian Newey could uh, build a more tighter car, let's say. And uh, with the Renault deal uh, made with Flavio Priatore came also Mark Weber. Right. So they had to take him to get the, to get the engines. And so uh, Mike, uh, I was running out of contract. DC still had one. So there was no place for me. So I, I knew it already a bit earlier. And then Red Bull wanted me to go to IndyCars. But I wasn't keen on going there. Uh, I still saw chances for myself in Formula One, and that's uh, how uh, how it then split with uh, with Red Bull. Such a it was a sad sad day for sure. Uh, but you know, I saw myself still in Formula One, and then I went to Honda as a reserve driver. Yeah, it's it's such a cruel sport, isn't it? I mean, I don't know whether at the time it kind of sinks in what's happening or you think oh god what am i going to do now but when you hear you talk about it and you think about you know you've got gone through this career of building up building up building up building up going through all the processes signing with red bull winning races and championships getting to formula 1 and then all of a sudden it's just taken away do do you realize at the time the impact of that or as a racing driver do you just think well you know i've enjoyed my time on to the next thing i'll be back no problem no, uh, I think when you're younger, uh, probably don't understand and don't have the time to understand also the politics in, in Formula One. And all you think about is racing. I have to be quick on the racetrack and that's it. But there's uh, much more to it. And, you know, sometimes there's a politics. I mean, Formula One is big business, big yeah. business in the end. And sometimes there's just no space for you and it's not, uh, not even... Uh, because of your performance or your talent or whatever, there's also, you need to have a bit of, of luck as well to be in the right spot at the right time. But you only realize a bit later when you see it, you know, when you grow up a little bit, understand yeah. the politics, see it from different perspectives. Yeah. It, it is fascinating how it all works. Were you not a little bit, I mean, I would be absolutely seething that uh, if the guy who was replacing me was the one who told me about the fact that he was replacing me, even though you had such a good relationship with Mark at that time being teammates, were you a bit annoyed that that was how you first found out about the news? No, because, uh, not well, I'd rather hear it earlier than, than later. And at least this gave me another one or two months to, to look around. I mean, when Red Bull told me it was in Monza, that was already September, which yeah. is a bit late. Right. So yeah. I could uh, have my eyes open and, uh, and see what, uh, what other options there are out there. And But yeah, it's always difficult and not nice. And uh, against DC, I did, uh, I did quite well. So you, uh, yeah. you know, and it's, uh, you just feel it. Year by year, experience is growing. Uh, you understand the sport better, the cars better, the tires better, and uh, it just makes life easier uh, and easier to get the performance out. Yeah. And uh, for sure, uh, a fourth year in a row would have uh, helped uh, a lot. Mm. Yeah. Well, as but you say, it is what it is. You can't change it. Huh? 
It is what it is, and then you can only do what you can in the car. The the politics and all that is out of your hands, isn't it? But post-Red Bull, as you say, you went to Honda as reserve, and you also did work for Spiker, Force India, BMW, Sauber as well. How was that period of time where you were trying to find your way back to a race seat? Oh, extremely difficult. I mean, if you're back then, test driver wasn't too bad because there were still a lot of tests. Yeah. You were still driving a lot. And uh, let's say you had a bigger role in the team than now. I mean, now what do you do? Uh, simulator, yeah. yeah. And, and there's hardly any test days. So it's very hard uh, for a reserve driver, let's say, uh, to show in, in the team that you are quick, you know, and, uh, and, and prove as well. Back then it was better, let's say, but to get back to a race seat is, uh, is really difficult. But then I got a good offer from BMW in 2008 and 9, so two-year contract uh, as, a, as a test driver, and I did drive a lot. With uh, 2010, I would have had uh, the race seat, but then they pulled out. <laughs> How dare they? How dare they? <laughs> Wonderful, huh? Oh, but, it wasn't, luck. but it wasn't the end. It was not the end because you did get back into Formula One. Yes. Your, your, your tenacity paid off and you returned <laughs> with HRT, the g- yes. good good old HRT. Uh, how did that opportunity come about? And, and tell us a little bit about the, uh, the experience. Um, yeah, it came about with, uh, with Colin Collis. Um, obviously, I knew him since the Formula 3 days. I also had a couple of test days uh, when he was at... Uh, Force India or Spiker, can't remember. So uh, anyway, it came because I had a good contact to Colin and, uh, you know, he gave me the opportunity to do, uh, to be the third driver or even the fourth, can't remember, or the fifth. There's so, there were so many drivers there. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, all the time, any time when I jumped in the car, I uh, was most of the time quicker than, uh, than Bruno Senna or Karun Chandok. And then that gave me the opportunity to do another three races this year. But to be honest, it wasn't really enjoyable. It was more watching the mirrors than anything else. The car itself wasn't wasn't too bad to drive, to be honest. Uh, it just was a huge lack of downforce compared to the other cars. Yeah. And uh, yeah, after that, it was also in my mind, I said, okay, that's, that's now it. And uh, let's move on to something else. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, it was an interesting period of your career, and you know you've been there, you've done it, you've raced in F one. That would never be taken away from you. So that's fantastic stuff. A quick interruption to the show to remind you to check out our sponsor, F1 Experiences. F1 Experiences offer a wide range of packages that come direct from Formula One, giving you a unique experience of the pinnacle of motorsport. Official ticket packages come with the very best race tickets, first-class hotels and transfers, and unprecedented access, including track tours, pit lane walks, VIP hospitality, and loads more. It really is the closest you can get to Formula One and thanks to F1 Experiences you can return to the track this year and Motormouth listeners can save 5% on your next F1 Experiences package by using the code MOTORMOUTH when booking online at f1experiences.com Now listen before we move on to the next part of the podcast there is the most important piece to deal with and I shall hand you over to my bearded colleague to introduce you to the Motormouth quiz Yes, Christian Clean, we've reached the halfway point. Welcome to Motormouths, the hardest quiz in motorsport. 
mainly because uh, either you, the guest, or the driver, can cannot remember their career very well, or I have got the answers wrong thanks to uh, online Google Wikipedia research. <laughs> but we're, we're going to give it a go anyway. Now, there are uh, four questions and a bonus question. Uh, and in total, there are 14 points up for grabs. If you get 14, you go straight to the top of the leaderboard. At the moment, that that seat is occupied by Nelson PK Jr., who is just ahead of uh, the former BBC broadcaster and now Channel 4 F1 broadcaster Lee McKenzie and Alexander Sims from Formula E. He is in third at the moment. So that's who you want to be. If we're looking at some more perhaps uh, Red Bull colleagues as well, Mark Webber has 12 points and is currently tied uh, in fifth position as well. So uh, it's a big, long leaderboard. It does go all the way down to Karun Chandok, who is last uh, in about 38th position. So uh, you could land anywhere. Are you ready for your first question, Christian? I'm ready. I'm ready for it. All right. Hit me. First up. What position did you finish your first F1 race in and where was it? So the first race was in Australia, of course. Correct. I think, I think, did I finish 13th? Oh, no, 15th. <laughs> no. I'm afraid, oh, Christian, oh dear. you were 11th. Oh, you were 11th. <laughs> yeah. You would have nearly got a point if it was modern day. But yeah, that's so I'm going to give you well, and and oh. of course, so that was what year was it? Just just for uh, the points, 2004. There you go. So I'll give you two out of a three possible points on that oh, one. So generous. not too bad. Very generous. I know I can be quite generous. Um, but yes, it was 11th Melbourne, obviously with Jaguar in 2004. Um, okay, now we've just been talking, of course, about the uh, ill-fated Hispania racing team. They actually raced eight different drivers in their time. Can you name all of them? All right, let's go. Karun Chandok, yes. Bruno Senna, Yamamoto. Correct. Uh, Liuzzi. Yeah. Ricciardo. Mm-hmm. Clean. Correct. Shit. <laughs> okay. I need two, uh, two more. Two more. Pedro Della Rosa. Yes. There you go. Oh, can he get a full house? Um, Come on. Now, this this last guy would have been on the grid, actually, at the same time as you in, t- I want to say, 2004. Um, wow. So he was another who had a big, who sort of had a bit of a break and then came back. Um, and we're, and we're kind of known for being the first ever driver from a particular country. Ah, Katekayen. Yes. Yay! <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Narain What a legend. Is, yeah, he and he was. I think him and Della Rosa were the most. Yeah, that's right. Thing. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, I'm going to give you that. That was very good effort. I was going to give you full points if you got half of that, but well done. Sure, that good. is a full house. Okay. Now, unbelievably, you are still the most recent Austrian Formula One driver. Can you tell me how many other, how many total? Austrian F1 drivers there have been in Formula 1. So I'm looking for a number. And then can you tell me who was the last Austrian driver before you? It's again tricky. Before me was Alex Wurtz. Ah, okay. (laughs) 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 I'm just going to double check that because I've got a different answer. (laughs) Before me, it was Alex Wurtz. But there was another one. When did did Alex Wurtz stop 
driving. What year was it? Uh, uh, you did uh, Williams. Uh, when was that? Oh, you're yeah, you're right. I you're right. had a second. You're right. Yeah, you're right. I'm wrong. Hey, I'm, hey, I, hey, I'm wrong. Yes, exactly. Do your yeah. cool stuff well. <laughs> I'm wrong. I tell you who I had. I had Patrick Freesacker. But um, yes, yes, yes. But but uh, Wurtz came back for Williams. Did, did yeah. another season. He did. Nope. Yeah, I got I got caught out there. You're right. Seven or eight. He Seven um, okay, I'll give you. Yeah, you got the. I'll give you the point for Verts. Can you get the extra points though for telling me in total how many Austrian F1 drivers there have been? Yeah, it's. Uh, I'm not hundred percent sure. I go with fifteen. Uh, oh, I'm going to give you the points. It's sixteen. Well 16. done, sixteen. Yeah. What's, I'm going to give you the points. It was, uh, I could be like a list of them all because we, we had Gerhard Berger on the show a few months ago. So he was obviously one of them. Jochen Rint, Dieter Quester, Helmut Marco, Nicky Lauda, Helmut uh, Konig, Harold Ertel, Otto Stupacker, Karl Oppitzhauser, Hans Binder, Joe Gartner, Gerhard Berger, Karl Werdlinger, Roland Ratzenberger, Alexander Wertz, Christian Klein and Patrick Friesacker. Quite a lot for such a small It time. is quite yeah. a lot, isn't it? But still, Nam been one since you. So uh, we need to find the next Austrian talent. Yeah, yeah. How many points is that? We'll be good. It, soon, soon. That was a full... I'm going to give you the full house. Right, we have... Um, where are we now? One, two, three, four, six, seven, eight, okay, one more and then a bonus point. Um, what season did you score your most Formula One points in? 2005. Correct. Can you tell me how many you scored? <laughs> it was all cocky then, like, I've got these points. Nine. I threw that one in. Correct. Oh, absolutely. Oh. Spot on. <laughs> I may, and, and how may, many points would it be in the modern in modern days? That's a very that's good a question. That is a good next question. Next time on the racetrack. <laughs> that is a good question. That's what we should judge it by, really, because uh, you can't. It's not an accurate depiction, I don't think. Okay. I think in total I had 14 points in my career. Yes, I think you did. According, Wikipedia confirms that as well. But it would have like been not a lot. But again, all days. <laughs> well, no, exactly. When only the top six could score points, it's like bloody hell. Come on, mate. Um, okay, final one for you for a bonus point. You've already scored more points than you did in your F1 career, uh, just in this quiz. So <laughs> thank you, thank you. <laughs> Putting your finger in the bone. <laughs> <laughs> Now, you are uh, currently racing GTs, of course, in various different championships. You race a McLaren predominantly. Now, can you tell me the year McLaren was founded? Wow. Now, even if, if you're a couple out, I'll still give you the point. Wow, wow, wow. Wow. 1963. <laughs> Have you just Googled that? No. no. Yeah. <laughs> that's, Is it spot, that's spot on. <laughs> <laughs> yes. That was so lucky. <laughs> oh, that is unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yes, 1963. Well done. All right. I was thinking me... about Bruce McLaren when yeah. he came over. Like, yeah. To Europe. That's, oh, I mean, fair play. Right, let me just do the math. One, two, three, four. Let's Let's go. Okay. Right. Christian Clean. The bad news is it's not top of the leaderboard, but the very good news is you're second with oh, 13 man. points. So not too shabby at all with that. The most people get about 10 points and that puts them all the way down in bloody 20th position, but you're good, straight good. up there in second. Christian Clean, thank you very much for playing the hardest quiz in motorsport. 
Thank you. So right behind uh, Nelson Piquet Jr. Correct. You're right behind Nelson Piquet Jr. Hot on his heels. So uh, if you see him next time, we'll have to have a, sh- a, sh- a second round to try and uh, get Okay, I was, I was beating him in the Marlboro Masters. So there you go. Here in the quiz. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. There Very you good. go. I'm just pleased that Harry got a question wrong. It always brings a little bit of joy exactly. to my life when Harry gets a question wrong. But it's, I'm glad you took it in the spirit that it's intended. We've had one or two guests who don't don't like it when Harry gets a question wrong. I can't remember if it, if it was... It, it might have been Rosberg, I'm not sure, who, who was a little bit grumpy during um, parts of the podcast. And he wasn't in... Well, it's because Rosberg didn't want to talk about his F1 career. That's no. why. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, well done, you. Um, you're on our podium. So congrats. Great. Congratulations Thanks for that. that. Now, let's turn our attention to more recent history. I'm going to skip over a couple of things. So forgive me for that, but we can cover that on another podcast. You've done all sorts of stuff, including Bathurst and... Blanc Pan, which is a, a championship that I really like, uh, hugely competitive. But I want to talk to you about DTM. We're big fans of DTM. It's one of Harry's favourite series. Um, you bad yourself a seat. You've got a race coming up. You're doing three rounds this year, hopefully doing a full season next year. Tell us about how this opportunity came around. Hugely, hugely exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited uh, to, to drive in DTM. Uh, obviously, I was following uh, it all, uh, all all through the years, and uh, I think in 2008 uh, I had already a, a deal in the pocket with Mercedes, but then preferred to stay in Formula One with BMW. Yeah, it's great to be finally racing in that series. Uh, I think I mean I followed the first two rounds, and it was great racing, uh, good battles on track, uh, close together. A lot of different car brands, and uh, now we obviously join with the McLaren. Not a sexy-looking car. Yeah, yeah, just can't wait for it. And basically, obviously, because it's GT3 cars now, it uh, made it much easier. Uh, let's say to join that championship uh, with the current team that I'm with, and uh, we just saw the opportunity. And in, in April, when it you know like all came together and said, uh, let's join for, for uh, three three races, maybe a fourth Norris ring uh, uh, at the end of the year, but I also have other commitments uh, and uh, clashes with the championship. That's why it's currently three. Got you. And expectations for your first three races? Have you got any or is it just about, you know, I think I saw one post of yours on your social saying, basically, you're a rookie again. You know, so is this about learning or, or are you expecting to get in there and be competitive straight off the bat? I, I guess we should be competitive because, uh, yes, I'm in the rookie in this in that championship, but uh, I mean, it's, it's a GT3 championship in yeah. the end. And uh, all the guys you race uh, you race against in DTM, you usually race in GT World Challenge or somewhere else. So it's not too different. But uh, yeah, it depends a bit where uh, how they balance our car. I think that will be there will be a few tweaks at the first race weekend uh, in Zolder. But all in all, the uh, you know the the guys who do the BOP uh, from Austria did it. I think they did a very good job. Cars are quite leveled out. So probably I would say first weekend in Solder, if we get uh, two top 10 results, we will be quite keen, quite keen. And then later on, top five, a podium. Yeah. This year would be awesome, yeah? Why not? It's very exciting already. You know, you've got a huge amount of GT3 experience. So hopefully using all of that going into DTM as well in that new look championship for this year. Now, alongside racing, I should say, you're also uh, working Formula One as a, as a broadcaster as well now. Um, 
So let's talk a little bit about Formula One today as well, if you don't mind. How are you seeing this season so far? What do you think of the the current championship battle? I mean, I think we could all agree it's great just to see that Hamilton's actually being uh, fought this time by somebody else. But of course, a bit of a hectic, hungry race as well. How do you look at it all? I think it's a great championship so far. Uh, it's a great battle between uh, Red Bull and Mercedes. It's, uh, I have to say, it's very tense in the paddock, uh, especially after Silverstone. But I think for the fans, uh, for the media, for everybody, it's just great that, uh, you know, that, that this, this fight is going on now because it, for many years it's been uh, quite boring, to be honest, uh, apart from the two years where Vettel uh, pushed Lewis. I think it's just great and it's fun, fun to watch and follow the races and, and talk about it. If you were a team boss... What would be your lineup? If you could pick any of the current crop, who would you take in your team? Max Verstappen, for sure. And then probably a, a Lando Norris. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think they would be an awesome combination who could push each other. Um, you know, similar age, they would have probably fun beside the track as well. Yeah. And uh, I think those two are, for me, this year, like, you really stand out. I mean, Max has now a few years now in Formula 1 and his gaining experience is calming down a bit more and is racing very clever, but extremely, extremely quick still. And, and I mean, Lando Norris and the McLaren is just fun to watch this year. I mean, uh, it's amazing uh, how he was growing up in these three years in, in Formula 1 uh, to... Uh, lead driver now you have to say and it's just weekend in out he just performs uh, uh, always the maximum of the car i mean and that shows also uh, where he stands in the in the in the in the world championship he's yeah. uh, third beating a mercedes and a rebel car it's uh, yeah it's amazing that's fabulous. what what do you make of the whole um daniel ricardo situation i mean is is it a case of he just needs time or is he simply being outperformed by a, a better driver <laughs> I think I think he still needs some time. Uh, you know, when you're not hundred percent confident in the car and uh, you can't push the car the hundred percent, you just you know you lose half a tenth there, half a tenth there, and it adds up. And then you have a teammate like Lando who just hammers every corner, every lap at the moment. He feels extremely comfortable in the team. He has all the support. So it's uh, it's. It's, uh, let's say, it's easy to break as well. But I don't think Ricardo will break because he, we know his talent. He is good. And uh, and the good thing, uh, Seidel, Andreas Seidel and McLaren, they seem to be also patient. And there are signs of him that he will be back. And I'm, I'm personally, I'm 100% sure that uh, you know, he will be back, maybe not in this car currently, but for sure next year in the new regulation mm-hmm. cars. Definitely. That would help him, I think. That will be a big boost. Everybody starts from zero. Exactly. I think that'll be really exciting for everybody, really. A sort of fresh slate, isn't it? Um, now, let's move on a little bit because we're rapidly running out of time, Christian, and we don't want to keep you too much longer. We've got a few quick-fire questions to uh, throw at you. Now, obviously, we've established you're quite a decent racing driver. What are you good at outside of racing? Outside of racing, I'm good at... Uh in all kinds of sports and I love skiing and I'm, I'm nice. I have to say I'm a good skiing instructor I, I really yeah two two uh, two former girlfriends and the current one I was teaching skiing they're pretty good now <laughs> one of it was an Australian 
Can you imagine? Uh, they, they, should, they, should, they should all have a race. It feels like there's a there's a competition element here. We get all the all the ex girlfriends yeah. together. Well, the was it was it just after the, the skiing instructing lessons that they became former girlfriends? Or was it, uh... <laughs> yeah, after the upper ski, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> oh, brilliant! Oh, Absolutely well, brilliant. Cut that one out. Um, let's put it on his head. What are you completely useless at? What are you crap at? I'm crap at heights. Oh, uh, so everybody thinks. Uh, Racing drivers are uh, basically, you know, have big balls. But <laughs> when it comes to base jumping or anything with heights, uh, you know, I'm as small as a mice and, uh, and uh, you know, I, I'm, I'd like to run away. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, heights at the best of times for anybody, I feel like. They can't be too... I, I don't know, unless you're a proper adrenaline junkie and just love yeah, the yeah, thought, yeah. maybe that, I don't know. It's just... Jumping off like even bungee jumping, all you oh, can think of is that. what if that thing, what if that thing breaks and snaps? Yeah, then, yeah. no know, way, no way, no absolutely chance. not. Um, drivers they like to have things under control. Yes, yes. And even though if we go flat out through a rouge, we're still in charge mm. and we're under control. And that's not the case. I don't know when if you're a passenger in a plane or you're base jumping or anything else. Yeah, even yeah. riding a horse, no way. Oh god, no horses are I, dangerous. I bro. You fall off that and yeah. you're oh, absolutely not. And I think you did a pretty good move this year in, in Eau Rouge, didn't you not? And uh, GT Open, I think it was. Not too shabby from you. Uh, how, how did you call it? Ballsy? Yeah, I did say yes. Talking of balls, it was ballsy. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I think, I think I'm allowed to get away with saying that on, uh, on commentary. Um, now, Christian, though, before we come on to our final three questions, one more for you. If uh, you could have done anything differently in your career so far, would you have done it? And what would it be? Oh, that's that's a good question. Um, to be honest, to be honest, no, because uh, you're only always more clever afterwards, but not not really in the situation. And I could have said in 2006, yeah, I, I stay with Red Bull, I go to America, but I, I'm pretty sure it would have lasted another year, and then I would have been kicked out. So <laughs> I rather <laughs> took my chance and stay in Formula One, even though it was the harder fight let's say but I still had good years I was able to do Le Mans afterwards and uh, all good I would uh, I couldn't do it any different it wouldn't be any better probably yeah very good a life without regrets is what we like now uh, we're going to move on to our final three which are brought to you by our partners at F1 Experiences I'll kick off this week Christian what's got you excited at this very moment if I look out of the window, I see the sun is coming out and I can go up the mountains. Beautiful. Can you see the mountains from where you are? Is it that I can. I'm so I can. Jealous. I'm so jealous. I'm I sat, wish I had that. I'm sat here yeah. in leafy Bedfordshire. All I can see is the side of my barbecue and a few clouds and a, and a tatty looking fence. Life, <laughs> life, life could be a lot better. Use your imagination. Oh, okay, the fence is a mountain. Uh, Not Harry, quite the same as the Alps. Over to you. Um, I, think, I think we know the answer Chris, to this next one. I think we do know the answer to this one. I suppose I'm going to ask it again just in case there's something else. What are you scared of? Would it be the heights or is there something else like an animal or any kind of phobia? <laughs> scared? Um... Yeah, well, I'm scared of all kinds of different animals, yes. Uh, but probably most scared, I did it a couple of times, being a passenger when you're coaching somebody, 
Oh. I tell you, that's seriously scary. <laughs> yes, I can imagine. Oh, it's that lack especially of it's that whole thing. And they're sink. They're, sink. they're good drivers, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Especially that's it's that whole thing of being out of out of control, isn't it? You're not exactly, in control yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Uh, you're totally right. I I did. Uh, I don't know if you've done it, Christian, uh, at Bedford Autodrome, the Palmer Sports stuff. And uh, I went there with Max Chilton once and um, I thought I was flying. I was in the F3 car. I thought I was absolutely hammering it. And it's not a huge track there. And he finished about 13 seconds in front of me. It was, it was <laughs> embarrassing. And I was, like, I, don't know, I, don't, I was like, I don't know how you can actually go any faster. Um, yeah. Anyway. And it uh, was not the Norch life, yeah? So no, yeah. It's, yeah, it's okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, was a, it was a tame one. But um, yeah, I was, I was, I'm not afraid to say I was, I was appalling. Harry wouldn't know because he, quite frankly, can't fit in a racing car because he's about 84 foot tall. I'm too big. Yeah, they would never let me into a into a racing car, especially not a single seater. Not, I'm not very aerodynamic. I don't think. But. <laughs> you you get in, but not out, probably. Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> Final question for you before we uh, we sign off. Um, where's your favourite Formula One destination? Singapore. Oh yeah, nice ah. one. It's a good one. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, Singapore uh, Formula One, and uh, otherwise it's Bathurst. Bathurst in in a GT3 car. Amazing. I'm going to be interested to see what happens with Singapore because um, Formula One have got this sort of charter, this sustainability and climate change charter. And then you go to places like Singapore and think they're lighting up that city in the middle of the night with, you know, these hugely powerful bright lights that are just chewing electricity. It's not the best look for a, a, a race series that's trying to be green. But um, anyway, that's for, uh, for another day. Um, listen, Christian brilliant to chat to you thank you so much you've been loads of fun congratulations on uh, getting on the podium on our quiz you know that's clearly the highlight of your career forget red bull um <laughs> best of luck in your dtm um exploits this year and next year as well um before we sign off just let people know where they can find you um can we find you on social media um where do we get in touch yeah on social media you can find me uh, simply under clean christian or uh on twitter CK underline clean. So that's where you can find me on social media. And thanks a lot to be part of the show. It was a lot of fun. Yes. Before you go, one final reminder to check out F1 Experiences, the official experience, hospitality and travel program of Formula One. F1 Experiences is the closest you can get to the sport. Official ticket packages, which include the best race tickets, first class hotels, travel and exclusive behind the scenes access across a Grand Prix weekend. F1 Experiences offer packages like no other. So to book your F1 Experiences package, head online to f1experiences.com and if you enter code MOTORMOUTH, you'll get 5% off too. Thank you so much for listening to the MOTORMOUTH podcast. Do make sure you give us a follow on our socials, Twitter at MOTORMOUTH underscore, Instagram at MOTORMOUTH underscore official and Facebook, just search MOTORMOUTH. You can also download the MOTORMOUTH app where you can get exclusive video content from MMTV, create your own social profile to interact with other fans and check up on all the latest happenings with whatever motorsport takes your fancy. We're also proud to be supporting the Brain Tumor Charity too, so make sure you check the links in the podcast description to find out how you can help cure brain tumors quicker. Don't forget to like, subscribe and review, and until next time, you've been listening to the Motormouth Podcast.